my experiences of God have just been wonderful, wonderful. And I've had wonderful guides along the way. Uh, my parents and uh, other other people, my godparents, uh, uh, their faith, their senses of humor uh, made being a disciple very attractive to me. Welcome back to another episode of Open Door Policy. We're so excited that you're listening with us again today. My name is Emily Mentock, and I'm your co-host, and I'm super excited to be joined today by... Father Patrick Daniel, the other co-host. How are you, Emily? I'm doing great, Father Patrick. Christmas has come early this year. One, downtown is decorated early. We have an amazing mm. guest who's a gift to us, gift to our listeners to be joining us today. Uh, what, are, mm. what are some things you're excited about in life right now? You know, uh, with the gift of... Jesus Christ, and you know the the joy of Christmas always being that renewal of uh, the presence of Emmanuel. I'm just thrilled at the reality that as a disciple of Jesus, we truly get to live with His presence uh, in us through the Spirit and with us always. So I, I just I love the liturgical seasons of the church here, how they they continue to renew us in the awareness of God's presence with us and times of refocusing. So really excited about the life of being a disciple and living in the presence of God. How about you, Emily? Oh, I love that. I want to just mm. totally piggyback on that. I'm also mm, just yeah. very excited. You're right. The, the routine, the, um, the renewal and refocusing, I think you said yeah. of going through yeah. these seasons that are so familiar to us that draw us, but still every year draws closer to the Lord, especially at Christmas with us coming to meet us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's such a great time. So very grateful for that. Hey, question for you, Emily, as we, yes. as we just get, you know, the, the, we warm up, we prime the pump here at, with the podcast first few minutes um, with our special guest who will remain anonymous, anonymous for another minute to build excitement. What was a moment in your life, Emily, when you realized that, that the Catholic faith, you realize that, you know what, this is it. I, this is, I believe this is uh, when Jesus looked at Peter and said, you're Peter and upon you, I'll build my church. Was there a moment for you that it really clicked uh, your, your Catholic faith and the church. Yeah, that's an amazing question. Um, this, this answer is going to be a shout out to the podcasts of the world. So I was actually wow. listening to a Bishop Baron homily podcast. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't oh, been yeah. going to mass. I hadn't really been practicing my faith in a while, but I'd re-encountered Bishop Barron and his videos and mm -hmm. I found his podcast and I was yeah. intrigued by it and was listening to his podcast, um, just in my personal life. And then, um, it was the summer of 2015. Uh, yeah, 2015. And we were going through, he got to the bread of life discourse. That's where we got in the yeah. readings wow. and that listening to that again, although I'd already been sort of intrigued by what he was saying, compelled me to go back to mass. I was very convinced wow. by the way he sort of gave his homilies on that at that time. Um, Oh, and awesome. so, yeah, I mean, and, and, and me, that's just why I'm so passionate also wow. about digital media as a tool mm -hmm. for evangelization, because that's what reached me. So I'm, you know, it is my, my, my hope in life that, that God can use whatever I'm, I'm working on my sort of background and communications to, to do that for others as well. So great question and uh, go I podcasts. <laughs> yeah. And I'll keep my answer short. Cause we've got to get this special guest unveiled ASAP. Um, the, for me, um, when I was, when I went through my conversion and I entered the seminary, I honestly thought I was going to get kicked out of seminary the first year because oh, no. I didn't know the Catholic faith. It was just a, a rapid conversion. It was wonderful, but the seminary is a great place to learn the Catholic faith. And, uh, the thing about the hierarchy, cause we all know there's been problems in the church over the years and, you know, ex wherever there's humanity, there can, there's still going to be problems, but the hierarchy, that whole like sacred order, 
I remember like really having a moment of breakthrough with, okay, when it comes to faith and morals, like the church doesn't, it doesn't go wrong. And then this essence of the hierarchy that Jesus had this divine design when he said, you are Peter and upon you I'll build my church. And then the, uh, the apostles and their successors, the, the bishops. And for any of the moments that we've all had in our lives where we're like, oh, I was disappointed by this component of the church. It doesn't change the true beauty of the divine design and uh, the, the sacred order of the church. So with that, Emily, would you introduce our yes. super special oh, sacred guest? I love that. I love, yeah, the order can be such a gift. Um, but uh, I guess yeah. a, a great key up for our, our special guest today, who is mm -hmm. one of our bishops here in the Archdiocese yeah. of Detroit. We're so, uh, so excited to have him. Um, some fun facts, right? No, mm -hmm. no guests get special exceptions for the fun facts. So <laughs> um, he is bilingual and can expect express comfortably himself in both English and Spanish, um, which is really great to see, to be able to really encounter a variety of people here in the archdiocese, both in English and Spanish and in, in an authentic way. Uh, he's got this one in common with you, uh, Father Patrick loving, loves music and always has, and um, always enjoys singing and playing. Um, you might know him, this is gonna be the giveaway now that he uses a ukulele because it's easy to transport in hey. ministry, I love that. <laughs> uh, and then also loving photography. Um, and even though we're uh. taking, uh, phone cameras, uh, camera phones as our, instead of our regular cameras these days, uh, it's still beautiful. And I, I mean, I have no shame and take photos on my phone all the time. So what are, what's some beautiful fun facts to, to have with us today to introduce Bishop Hanchen, Bishop Hanchen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks very much. That's qu quite a buildup. I don't know if I can live up to all that. But... Straight to the ukulele. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, good to... what a gift for. I'm sorry. I, my ukulele is out of my car. And so oh. I can't grab it. Oh, could have played it on the podcast. We'll have to get, get you on next time. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. How did you get into the ukulele? You know, it, it happened quite by happenstance. I, for many, many years, I played a banjo mm -hmm. and my banjo, which I like a lot, it weighs about 20 pounds, yeah. 20, 25 pounds with a resounding board. And uh, <clears throat> I was on vacation one year in Maine, visiting some friends in Maine, um, Algonquin, Maine. And I walked into a gift shop <clears throat> and I saw these instruments behind. I said, what are those? They said, those are ukuleles. I said, could I try one? And I just liked the feel of it. Uh, the cost was reasonable, had a carrying case. And I knew that I could tune the ukulele to the chords I already knew on a banjo. So the advantage was I didn't have to learn all new chords. And uh, so that's what I did. And I play a, a ukulele as if it were a banjo and it works, works fine. And it only weighs about eight ounces. Way so, better oh, than the banjo. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big advantage. Uh, Bishop Hanch, and I would consider you, uh, the years over the years I've known you, you are one of the epic storytellers uh, in, this, in, the sacer <laughs> in the sacerdotal ranks. No, you really, I mean, you preach too, you do a great job of bringing in stories. I, I would just would love it. If people haven't heard it out there, what's the story of how you became a priest? Oh, well, uh, to me, it's a, uh, a lesson in God's patience and sense of humor. Uh, when I went to the seminary after eighth grade, I went because I wanted to be a priest and I admired the priests at my home parish and so mm -hmm. forth. And they were very encouraging me of me and my parents had the ideal attitude. They said, well, try it out. And if you find it's not for you, come on back home. So I went with that idea. Mm -hmm. uh, however, uh, I hadn't thought about to think about how selfish it was. It was my idea. <laughs> and uh, I noticed that some of my classmates got into trouble and, 
and were asked to leave. So I didn't want to be one of those. So I was going to be Mr. Okay, you know, and uh, the tension of being Mr. Okay when you're not perfect uh, started to take a toll. I ended up having uh, trouble with my stomach, having ulcers by the time I was in college. Uh, in any case, uh, so when I had ulcers, I had to have surgery. And um, when I came back after being away for about two weeks, I was absolutely certain I was going to get summoned to the rector's office and that, that uh, Monsignor Canfield was going to say, you know, Don, you're a nice kid, but uh, obviously this, uh, this work is not meant for you and you're having troubles. So I was sure that was going to happen. And every mm. night I would go down to the chapel all by myself late at night and, 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 and I would cry about this. Literally, I would cry and I would say, God, there's nothing else I want to do. Uh, what am I going to do now? And uh, one of those nights, uh, the Lord sort of answered, well, now that I have your attention, <laughs> I said, oh, my goodness. I, I said, so I, I, uh, I do want you to be a priest. And I've wanted you to be a priest since you were a little kid. Uh, and he quoted that line from Jeremiah, from your mother's womb, yeah. I have called you. And so I, I didn't know what to say. And I said, so I, I'm not going to get kicked out? He said, no, no, you're not going to get kicked out. But don't be ridiculous. But no. You won't get kicked out. And I never got called to the rector's office. Uh, life went on beautifully. But I realized that it was kind of from that point that I realized, oh, so this isn't what I want. This is doing what you want. Mm. And uh, so I felt like God sort of consciously entered my, my mind as the one responsible for my vocation, going back to, you know, when I was in my mother's womb. So mm. uh, I can look back and think of little things from childhood where I, this is what I always wanted to do. Mm. And uh, when people would ask me, why did you become a priest? I say, because I thought I would, uh, I would like it. And I was right. right. <laughs> <laughs> God, mm. God sort of put it in my, in my, uh, my mind and in my heart. And uh, mm. I've never regretted, you know, I've just never regretted that choice. Uh, even though like uh, some of my close friends, mm -hmm. I'm a, a so-called lifer. I, I, Started in the mm -hmm. high school for the pre in the minor seminary when we had one. Um, it's been a great life. I've been a priest for forty seven years now plus. Praise God. And uh, a bishop for about ten of those. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's been great. I, I'm not sure I answered your question, Patrick. You did. did. It was a great story. I think Emily's got the follow. -up. Yeah, that's an, that was an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. You know, entering the seminary at, at such a young age, which I think few people do, you know, so early now. So it's, it's what a unique experience. But um, what have been other times in your life, you know, after that, throughout your 47 years of being a priest, where you have had particular moments of you know growth in faith or learned along the way? Because it's not like you just came out of seminary and that that was it. Um, so, no, no, you know, no, no, in no. your amazing sort of time serving in the archdiocese, you know, can you share maybe a time where you had a particular moment of growth in faith? Sure, sure. I would go back to when I was a deacon, my, my deacon assignment, and we were uh, assigned to a parish uh, as a deacon under a supervisor for at least one year. In my case, it ended up being almost two years. And at that time, I was working as a volunteer uh, driving uh, high school students, black and white high school students around to give talks on racism. And that was the time of uh, Stokely Carmichael and black power. And it was a very controversial uh, time, but I really enjoyed the work. And I remember thinking, 
if I'm going to be a priest in the Archdiocese of Detroit, the majority population in the city of Detroit is African-American. So I better learn, get to learn about the lives of African-Americans. So uh, Father Rick Hartman was at that time uh, uh, a year ahead of me, and he was at a place called St. Bernard on the east side, Mac and Lilybridge. And uh, his supervisor was not a priest. He was an African-American permanent deacon, Alan McNeely. And uh, so uh, I went to see Mr. McNeely one day and I said, you know, I'm thinking about coming. He says, oh, you are, huh? Uh, and he asked me some very uh, uh, funny questions to me. He says, do you mind wearing clerics, uh, clerical collar? I said, no. He said, okay. He says, because, you know, black folks are funny. They like their ministers to look like ministers. And I laughed and I said, well, I'm okay with that. You know? Well, that year, almost two years wow. at St. Bernard was uh, a real growth in spirituality mm -hmm. for me. The black folks were my teachers, my models. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just so admired them. And uh, I remember being there for about six weeks and my classmates uh, I knew because we would get together at the seminary every couple of months. They were talking about the baptisms they did and how great it was to be able to preach. And I hadn't done any of that. And so one night uh, at my weekly meeting with uh, Deacon McNeely, I said, uh, Deacon, um, could I preach sometime? He says, I don't know. Could you? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you think you work in the food co-op with Mrs. Strawberry and Mrs. Williams and Mrs. So-and-so. So you think you could preach uh, something that would be helpful for them? Mm. And I thought to myself, oh, well, that's that's more challenging. He says, because it isn't just about showing off your knowledge of scripture. It's about touching the hearts of people with the word of God. Wow. I said, wow, that's something to think about. He said, well, you think about that. And when you think you're ready, you come in and uh, we'll have a dry run. So another month or so went by and I came back to the deacon. I think I'm ready. Okay. He says, well, let's hear what you're going to preach about on Sunday. <clears throat> and I don't remember what the scripture was, but I began by saying, brothers and sisters, what Jesus is trying to say, he says, hold it right there. Hold it right there. Jesus doesn't try to say something. What Jesus wants to say, he says. And I, I sat back in my chair and he said, don't, don't, don't let me frighten you, but just be careful how you put things. And mm -hmm. so it was, a, it was a great thing. And to be able to preach with people in mind and not, not my knowledge you know, of a topic in mind. Uh, so that those two years were a great time. The, the music, uh, the scripture and the gospel music that I heard, they had a wonderful choir. Uh, so it just really nourished me. Uh, so that uh, when I was ordained, I, I was absolutely certain that I wanted to continue my ministry in an urban setting, not exclusively, but, mm -hmm. and most of my assignments have in fact been urban. And uh, when Archbishop uh, was assigning his new auxiliaries to uh, uh, geographic areas, he gave me the entire city of Detroit. So, uh, and Detroit over the course of time encompassed Highland Park and Hamtramck. So that whole area is included. So I'm very happy to wow. be in the central region. And uh, uh, yeah, I feel very much at home. So I always started out uh, it, with minorities, with African-Americans. And then years later, when I was asked to study Spanish, I said, you know, I'd be happy to do that. And I know why, because I learned that I'm comfortable being the minority. <laughs> so it was okay for me to be the odd person out uh, and not be black or not be Hispanic. And uh, I have just loved my ministry.
Incredible. Hey, Bishop, one of my favorite memories of you was uh, that I shared memory with you. I was at a Our Lady of Guadalupe celebration at the cathedral, which uh, <laughs> anybody out there who has not been to an Our Lady of Guadalupe celebration, um, please go. I mean, and if you can go <laughs> yeah, to you're a, missing something. a parish that is going to have a, a large Hispanic contingent, they bring so much uh, Holy Spirit joy yeah. in the body of Christ. And so after the, the, the recession, after the mass had ended, as soon as you processed out, you, you looped like a, it was almost like a, a wedding couple racing back to the sacristy to sign their wedding license before they got <laughs> they, they, the, all the photos. Bishop Hanson races back and he jumps in with the music ministers and just because they're having a Holy Spirit party. I mean, the lava, 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 and I'll never forget. He jumps right in and he's just getting right in worshiping with them. So here's my question from from your experiences in the city. Uh, with the African-American culture and the gift of our Hispanic uh, Catholics with us. What are some of the treasures, if you had to think about, you know, uh, the, the various demographics of the body of Christ, um, what are some of the treasures you've picked up from the various cultures in your ministry in the city? Oh, sure. Well, I, I learned early on uh, at St. Bernard that uh, after communion, there was always the, the custom in the choir, there would be a solo after the communion song. And sometimes very, very mm. deep, soulful uh, songs like uh, uh, If I Can Help Somebody mm. uh, As I Pass Along, If I Can Cheer Somebody with a Word or a Song, If I Can Show Somebody That They're Traveling Wrong, Then mm. My Living Shall Not Be In Vain. And it was sung with such passion. Mm. I, I just sit in the back and close my eyes and just, uh, it, it just, I felt just surrounded by God's love and mercy. Mm. So that was uh, certainly one thing the the music and the black church mm. and, and the, also the, uh, the respect in the black church mm. for elders. Uh, there was always a group of, of women, the so-called mothers of the church, they were called. Wow. And these were women who had been, you know, in the church for a long time. And when they said something, everybody listened, you paid Praise. attention to what, wow. what these women had to say and tell you, uh, and then uh, in the Hispanic community, there's so many aspects. Uh, one of my kind of windows into the Hispanic community is that 35 years ago now, when I was in Mexico, I was in Mexico for uh, seven months. And uh, uh, I got to know, I mean, the family I lived with was just wonderful. Mm. And some of their compadres, their, their kids were both confirmed at the same time. So the parents on either side became the sponsors of the other other's daughter. In any case, I got to know that family very mm -hmm. well. And that family, there were uh, three boys and a girl. And uh, one of the boys was very musically talented and played at the Sunday mass that we always attended. Mm. And I would be sitting in the sanctuary and it was kind of a small church. And just to my right, maybe about 10 feet away, was this young man playing a piano. Mm. And uh, uh, his name was Santiago. And uh, uh, anyway, he was in the youth group and I used to work with the youth group during the week. And so he said, hey, come over to my house sometime. Uh, and he knew that I had a banjo. He said, bring your banjo. So I brought the banjo. Within five minutes, he was playing the banjo much better than I ever did. <laughs> uh, so uh, music and family and, uh, and respect for family and elders, uh, those are all values that I learned from from my ministry years in the black community and the Hispanic community. 
That, mm. That's so rich. Thank you for sharing those with us. You know, mm -hmm. it's so clear hearing oh, you, you speak about your ministry that, you know, it has been so spirit led and spirit filled throughout the time. Yeah. But, you know, here in the Archdiocese of Detroit, if you look at in the span of your priesthood, we have kind of this newer phenomenon of unleash the gospel or the term joyful missionary disciple as sort of these like key words for the movement we're living in now, even though obviously the work of the Holy Spirit goes beyond that. I, I would just love to hear from you, Bishop. What is your experience of being a joyful missionary disciple? here um, and kind of your understanding of that movement building on top of your many years in the diocese. Sure. Well, I think the expression, I'm, I'm in fact, I'm certain it comes from the archbishop. He was always intent upon saying, we want to be joyful missionary disciples. And I, I always learned to emphasize all three words, uh, joyful, missionary, and disciple. And if you're not joyful, then why would you ever attract anybody to want to know Jesus? Uh, I think Jesus had great joy. I think he took joy in his disciples. And uh, I used to laugh that uh, in terms of music, when, when uh, back when we started doing the responsorial psalm, and it used to be recited before we wised up and decided it should be sung, but the, the lector would be proclaiming the responsorial psalm, and the response would be, with joyful hearts, let us, uh, let us lift our joyful hearts to the Lord. And they would say let us lift our joyful hearts to the lord <laughs> you know <they're> very flat <laughs> i said no no you got it you have to show the joy that's in your heart so being a joyful person i was always important to me i think it's even more important to me as a bishop uh, mm. because a lot of people see me and and see me as a person in leadership and if i don't find joy in leading uh you know that i'm in the wrong work you know but in fact i do so the missionary part, uh, uh, I didn't say this is part of my vocation story, but I always thought I was going to be a missionary because uh, my mother got uh, got Marino Magazine, and we used to watch, I'd see the pictures in Marino Magazine, and I always thought I was going to be a missionary. I remember when I was in seventh, eighth grade, trying to decide whether I wanted to apply to the seminary, I said, uh, God, you know, I, I inquired of priests and missionaries and found out that if I became a missionary, I would only be able to come home to the U.S. every six or eight years. Mm. And I thought, oh, I thought, dear God, I can't do that. And uh, so I said, well, God, can I make a deal? If uh, if if you'll let me be a priest, I'll I'll pick the missionary places to be a priest. <laughs> so I uh, early on I said I'll I'll take the assignments nobody wants. And so uh, in Detroit at that time, that was the in the black community wow. and in the Hispanic community. It's the places people do not apply for. Mm. And uh, uh, I've never regretted that. It's always been a blessed uh, occasion. So I've heard someone share once that, you know, we make deals with God, but like God will always get the better, better end of the deal <laughs> than we do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I call that God's sense of humor. Uh, I think he's very patient, uh, but also he loves us so much that he wants us to experience something, even if it's difficult, that he'll bring us through, you know. You're you're on a roll. I gotta ask you, Bishop, to keep on going. You broke you <laughs> broke down joyful and missionary so beautiful, and just we'd love to hear your heart for discipleship. Just yeah, take it away. Sure. Yeah. Well, disciple means you know I think of the old student teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm the student. God's the teacher, and uh, uh, it means allowing Jesus to be in charge of my life, mm -hmm. uh, to do things that He would have me do, and in the way that He would do them. So I, I pay close attention to the way mm. Jesus in, interacts with people in the gospel, you know, his 
compassion for people and uh, his uh, kind of calling them deeper into this, into obedience, if you will. The word obedience figures prominently for me because uh, uh, it's usually something that you wouldn't think of doing mm-hmm. or you don't like to do. Uh, but if Jesus asks you to do it, if he shows you this is important, uh, I've never regretted giving in uh, to Jesus. So a uh, joyful missionary disciple is somebody who, whose life, uh, uh, there's something appealing about it. You ask yourself, well, gee, you wonder what that person, what makes them tick? You know, I mean, I think that's what Christian disciples should do, that we should awake people's interest. And uh, disciple just means uh, I'm, I'm simply trying to do what my, my best friend, my savior, my Lord, yeah. Jesus wants me to do. It's beautiful. And uh, you remind me as well of a, a pretty well-known quote from St. Teresa of Avila when she said, Lord, save us from sour-faced saints. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, you know, the, the, Emily knows this is the time where we usually have our scripture the, uh, podcast, but yes. it's Philippians chapter four, verse four, when uh, Paul writes a very famous passage, rejoice. I shall say it again, rejoice that your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. The, the reason to rejoice, he's always there. He's always near. And one of the mm-hmm. most powerful things uh, in your testimony was when you heard the Lord speaking to you in the chapel and assuring you. And I just wanted yeah. to ask you, Bishop Hansham, for sometimes people audibly hear the voice of the Lord and the Catholic church teaches us, you know, in the catechism that inspired thoughts, that conscience, look at me trying to say something to a bishop, back up, Patrick. Uh, so, but basically we know he speaks to us through inspired thought as well. And it's the interior voice. So yeah. the question it's two part. Did, was it an interior voice or was it audible? And the second, anything you want to share for our listeners about listening to the voice of the Lord, because hearing his voice his voice is never separate from his presence. And that renews us in that joy that you spoke about as a joyful missionary disciple. So did you hear it audibly or interior and any tips you have for our listeners on listening to the voice of the Lord? Sure. I guess if you had to define it, it would be interior. I mean, if anybody was in the presence of me praying, they would not have heard a voice, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I certainly heard it and knew that it was the Lord's voice uh, because of what he said. And I've always loved, uh, I love this time of year uh, in which we're recording in Advent, but I love the, the name Emmanuel. Just the other day, I baptized a little boy whose name was Emmanuel. And I said, oh, you have a great name <laughs> uh, to know that God is with us. And he's with us in a way, as you suggest, because of, of the voice. Uh, he's with you in a way that you have a relationship. And in any relationship, there's communication. Hey. And so... While God doesn't always answer my direct questions, he always answers them. Mm. And uh, it may come out in time, but sometimes it's very direct. Lord, Mm. why did this happen? And well, did you ever think? I remember one time I had a a problem with a good friend and I said, Lord, I I just don't understand why, uh, you know, I can't uh, I can't get over this hump and this relationship, this friendship of mine. And I and then I was quiet. And in the quiet, God said, well, did you ever think of da 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 And I, I sat back in the pew and I thought, I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wasn't making it up. It wasn't something I was saying. It was something coming from outside of me. And then so God frequently will do that to me. He'll uh, 
he'll uh, suggest another way to look at it or or I'll meet somebody who who will uh, lead me to think that way. So God's just as uh, much at ease using another disciple to, to teach me something as he is to, to do it directly in that way. Bishop, thank you. Yeah, but I think those are great tips for our listeners and, and a, a powerful reminder that sometimes the, the voice of God can be coming through the people in your life. You know, we're called, to, we're living in community. Mm -hmm. um, we, my pastor has been preaching recently about how, you know, saints uh, make saints, saints were friends often with each other and living around people yeah. striving to be a joyful missionary disciple the same way That's you are right. is a great way to kind of to stay in touch with that and to try and live it to the fullest. So thanks so much for, mm -hmm. for sharing mm -hmm. that reminder. I've been so in Oh, uh, inspired by how you're sharing about, you know, your ministry and in particular, you know, the regions that, that you've been called to serve here in our archdiocese. Um, one question we love to ask people on the podcast, um, is what is their dream? Um, but I want to target it specifically like for you, you know, what is your dream for the church in Detroit? Um, and maybe especially some of these areas, um, that you've in particular served in throughout your ministry. Mm. Wow. I think of two ways to answer that, Emily. One is, uh, my first response is my dream is for the church in Detroit to work its way through our sins of racism because uh, our, our discrimination against blacks and minorities, uh, there's a long history of it. I won't tell you stories, but in my life, I've just heard stories about how people were turned away from church, told that they had to go to the, the parish for the blacks or the parish for the Hispanics uh, and, or sit in the back and uh, just awful things like that. So that's the first one. Mm -hmm. The second is I'm thinking of my nieces and great nieces and nephews. Uh, my prayer is that my dream is that they will have a profound faith because not all of them go to church. And uh, uh, it, it's, uh, I think often my parents would just not believe that these little kids whom they held in their arms are now sort of, uh, Sometimes, or if it feels like it, I will, but uh, they, they're not regular Sunday attenders, at least in the Catholic Church. And uh, that, that uh, causes me real, real, real uh, pain and sorrow. And so I just pray and dream that they will encounter the Jesus whom I encountered, the one who is ready to accept me as I was, even when I wasn't. And the one who loved me sort of beyond my, my faults. Um, that's always been my experience of Jesus. Uh, years ago, I was on my first directed retreat. And uh, I thought it was going to be uh, kind of rough. And uh, you would get four or five scriptures from your spiritual director. And he would say, take these to the chapel and pray over them. Spend about an hour on each one. Mm, and I thought, oh, my gosh, four or five hours <laughs> in prayer? And uh, yet I did it. I found a place in the chapel up at uh, 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 Manresa. And uh, uh, I told uh, my spiritual director the first day, I said, you know, I really was afraid to come on this retreat because with that much time at his disposal, I was sure that God was going to beat me up because uh, I don't pray enough. Wow. And because I don't. And, he, and the spiritual director wisely said to me, has God ever treated you that way? Oh, man. And I, I said, no, he, he had never has done that. He said, so? So what's happened? I said, well, he's led me to, you know, deeper understanding of things. And uh, yeah, so uh, my experiences of God have just been wonderful, wonderful. And I've had wonderful guides along the way, uh, my parents and uh, other, other people, my godparents, uh, 
uh, their faith, their senses of humor, uh, made being a disciple very attractive to me. Mm. Thanks for sharing that, Bishop. I think that it's very real. You know, even our bishops can get nervous about prayer time with the Lord on retreat. So <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very yeah. reassuring for the rest of us who may have struggled with that as well. <laughs> I actually just went on my first retreat since sort of like the the mandatory ones, like back in, in high school. And, or, and um, oh, good, good it was more the theme of it was, you know, entering into the stillness and mm -hmm. silence. And I remember before I went, I just got back this past weekend. Um, looking at the schedule is just for you arrive on Friday, leave on Sunday, but thinking, Oh my goodness, what am I going to do on Saturday all day right. without my phone? Like it, <laughs> I don't, I was so nervous. And then all of a sudden in the day, like just spending time with the Lord and free from distractions, it flew by and I was disappointed when it came to an end that I didn't have enough yeah. time. So this episode's coming out in the new year. Maybe it can be a new year res resolution or just a goal for the year um, for some of our listeners mm -hmm. with the season of Lent coming up oh, I highly um, recommend. to do a retreat. Um, okay. Back to you, yeah. Father Patrick. Oh, golly, I was just soaking it all up. And uh, Bishop Hanson, one of the one of the beautiful, I think, gifts for everybody listening. I just want to identify, call it out. You know, when you were speaking about listening to the voice of the Lord, uh, you talked about asking questions, and that sometimes there will be a direct answer, um, and then sometimes you know you, you wait a little bit. But you said it, yeah. it was so good. You said, "But He will answer." <laughs> So yeah, he always does. I think always. that's a, a, a tip for everybody from uh, our bishop here, just to keep asking the Lord questions, that he loves questions. Yeah. Hey, Bishop, would yeah. you be willing? We, we always want to bring everybody back, but we have to bring you back. This just evaporated the time. I like, know. where did it go? <laughs> so, but would you be willing, Bishop, uh, to close us in prayer and a blessing? But if, you, if there's anything else on your heart uh, for the Joyful Missionary Disciples in Detroit listening to you right now, feel free. Oh, thank you. I'm pleased to be asked. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, you call us into your presence, uh, uh, especially at this beautiful time uh, prior to Christmas, uh, so that we can consider our need for you, uh, our need for a Savior, our need for a Redeemer. Thank you for being the kind of God who redeems us even when we're not worthy of it, even when we are not thinking of it. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the people you placed in my life, all through the course of my life, from littlest years of childhood to my present life. People whom I admire, people who inspire me with their, their faith, their charity. And thank you, Lord, for all the reasons I have to be grateful this Christmas. And I offer to you all of those who are sad or unhappy or disappointed all of those for whom the approach of Christmas and the new year uh, do not strike them as good news, but as a cross. I ask you, Lord, in your goodness, to send them disciples, joyful missionary disciples, uh, as ambassadors for you, to show them that life is indeed worth living, worth giving, worth sharing. Bless us, and especially those suffering from COVID and their caregivers, Bless all of us. Bless uh, the uh, the family touched families touched by the violence in Oxford, Michigan last week. Uh, bless the sad young man who did this and his parents. Uh, we ask in your goodness that you find a way for your redemption and healing to reach them. All of this we pray with great hope in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel. Amen. Amen. May the blessing of Almighty God. 
Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon us all and remain with us forever. Amen. Thanks, Bishop. Thanks, Emily. Patrick. Thank you so much, Bishop Hanjin, and thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Open Door Policy, where we hear stories of different joyful missionary disciples in Southeast Michigan and how they encounter, grow, and witness in their love for Jesus. You can find more episodes at unleashthegospel.org forward slash podcast, or find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music. Thanks so much and see you next time. Joy! Joyful! (laughs)